0: relax, be heard, and be understood. It's a show where men can be men. Now here's the coach who has your back, Linda Gross.
1: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Men's Advocate Show. I am energized and ready to tell you about today's show. We're going to be talking to my guest who is a former Army Ranger who on his first mission participated in the largest rescue and recovery operation since the Vietnam War and the recovery of a downed Chinook helicopter and the lone survivor in Afghanistan. He's chronicled this journey in his book, Leave No Man Behind. Please welcome my guest, Dr. Tony Brooks. Welcome, Tony.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you for the intro. I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Welcome aboard. So, um, tell us a little bit about about your story. How did you initially think to become an Ar- Army Ranger? Like, what made that like way you know ahead of the story that you're going to tell us? But what were those decision making processes?
2: You know, I was um, a lost college student at the time, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do in school. So I was kind of floundering and and. Literally, and I was only a few weeks into school, by the way. <laughs>
3: um wow.
2: and next thing I know is my first month in college, 9 nine eleven. So nine eleven, oh, wow. two thousand one happened as I was a freshman in college and it really shook me. It shook me hard and made me realize that, you know, maybe I was not doing the right thing. Maybe I need to do something else. So that was the initial kind of nudge to go join the military and then course, there were some other uh, pop culture things that really pushed me was Pat Tillman, the NFL player turned Army Ranger, sure. and a movie came out, uh, Black Hawk Down. So all those things combined kind of gave me my path to become a ranger.
1: Got it. And did you have family members who were also in the military to, to inspire you? or
2: Both of my grandfathers served in the Navy. However, it wasn't a really I wasn't really a big uh, military family at all.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: In fact, I I never even thought once of going into the military until 9/11 happened.
1: Wow. So it was that that moment was just really jarring for you. What what do, I don't I don't think you were in New York at the time. You were just watching it on TV, right?
2: Yeah, I was in Tucson, Arizona, um, at the University of Arizona in the dorms. I had just come back from the gym, and and I saw it on TV.
1: Wow. And did your buddy say, come here, come here, look at the TV? Or how did you know it was even going on?
2: No, most people were asleep. I was the early bird, and I was up uh, at the gym. And uh, that's when I I just flipped the TV on with no sound. Wow. And I knew something was really wrong.
1: (laughs) And did... Did these moments on the TV, I mean, we were all mesmerized by the TV, and unfortunately, TV is such a powerful medium. I think the powers that be, they told the story that they wanted to tell. So even though our eyes were seeing the pictures, it just wasn't making any sense as to what was going on visually. No, I, I don't know if you had that impression, too. I mean, the you know, all the reporters and everything, they were all talking their heads off, but that's not what our eyes were seeing and processing
2: yeah and and i i remember having that feeling of a plane flew into a building so how that doesn't happen like why yeah. <laughs> i remember being very confused and i knew that it wasn't just um an accident it clearly wasn't
1: yeah so but you i mean but they but the story they told us was that it was intentional that the people who were the pilots, you know, dove into these buildings intentionally.
2: And, you know, I I don't know the truth at this point. I mean, there's so many stories out there. Um, I I do believe it was intentional, but I don't know that everything else that goes with the story is, um, is the truth. Right,
1: right. All right, so fast forward from that moment, from the 9-11 day, Um, to the aftermath and, you know, how long did it take from there to actually become a ranger? Tell us about your training and if there was an education involved and tell us a little bit about that story.
2: Yeah, so it took me a little bit of time to get to where I wanted to be because uh, I wanted a specific enlistment contract into the Army that said I was guaranteed a shot at specific training. And those don't come easy, and this would happen to be a – it's called an Option 40 contract. Mm -hmm. So I kind of waited around until I got one of those, and I ended up shipping out. I mean, so I initially had the idea early um, 2002, right after Mm
3: 9-11.
2: And I didn't actually ship out until the beginning of 2004. Wow. So it took, you know, quite a bit of time to get exactly where I wanted and the training's very good. Just
1: to get on the list or like yeah. what, what just was to the to get a contract
2: zero. to join the military. Wow.
1: Correct. Okay. Go ahead.
2: Um so the training's intense. I mean, I go through I went through infantry training, then airborne school, and then uh, we get a chance to go to Ranger indoctrination program. And the acronym is R.I.P. And I don't <laughs> think that's an accident <laughs> at all. Oh I think gosh. that was intentional. Um because basically, they put you through a, an indoctrination of, we're going to make you all suffer and see who's going to put up Come
3: with out. it. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
2: And I was pretty determined that that's what I wanted to do. So nothing could have stopped me, uh, as awful as it was. And uh, I, at that point, I shipped off to my unit, which was at Fort Lewis, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Got to my unit. There were two wars raging at the time. So you had Iraq and Afghanistan. So I knew I was going to go off to war. Mm -hmm. And um, the way that the special operations units worked at the time was train for six months and then deploy for four. Train for six months, deploy for four. And they did that from 9-11 up until about a year and a half ago. Wow. And there are some people that went on almost all of those trips. Oof. You can imagine that what we're about to see in our society is not going to be pretty. That's a lot of war. Wow. So that was kind of my build-up to my first mission. It six months of training, and then I was deploying to Afghanistan in my first deployment.
1: That is craziness. So before your training, you were in a pilot before, right? You got all this. Training you know uh, during after enlistment.
2: I was a nerdy college student. I I didn't even I mean I wasn't even a superior athlete. I was a I'd say better than average athlete Mm -hmm. But I wasn't elite or anything like that but to become a ranger you have to You have to really push your body to limits that you didn't even know you had. Mm -hmm. It's really a mental battle of not quitting and and trusting that your body's not failing (laughs) Um, because there are many times you feel like your body's quitting on you, and really it's your mind.
1: And what was the importance of the Option 40? Why did you want to hold out for that?
2: I'm a very analytical guy, and what I found was that if I wanted a shot to become a ranger, I better Mm -hmm. get it in writing, or else Ah. everything is up to the military.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: So I got it in writing. I got everything in writing that I wanted. Wow. Good for you. Good recruitment officer there. <laughs> oh, no, they tried to get me to go without that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, smart you. And so so at this juncture, when you're joining, are you still in college or you left college? You, it was like year two of college, right?
2: Yeah. So I actually, my after my first year, I, that was my compromise with my dad at the time was, Dad, I'll finish my first year of college. That was his his words, not mine. Finish your first year of college, and then if you still want to go, then go. Okay. But don't don't go emotionally now. That's why I didn't join right away. Okay. Um, I actually took his advice. Can you believe it? Wow. <laughs> yeah, 19 years old. I actually listened to Dad. Wow. And um, But I still wanted to go after a year, so I left college at that time and went home, tried to get that contract, and, of course, I had to wait. So I ended up actually going back to junior college for – uh, believe one semester before shipping off.
1: Wow! Because you had to wait till 2000. You had two years there. You had 2004, right? Yeah. So. But you only put in one one semester of education.
2: I did one full year at the University of Arizona. Okay. I actually went back for my fall semester of my second year, and lasted about two weeks. And I said, <laughs> this is not. This is not going to happen.
1: Yeah, my head's not into it.
2: No, and then I went home and signed that contract not that long after.
1: Wow. By the way, my audience, you are currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. You can call in on this topic. We're talking to former Army Ranger. Uh, This is uh, Dr. Tony Brooks. Call us at 323-642-1677. 323-642-1677, or you can hit me up on the chat line. Uh, If you're listening live, it's blogtalkradio.com, blogtalkradio.com forward slash DTLindaGross, forward slash DTLindaGross. We're going to take a quick uh, break here, and when we come back from the break, we'll be joined again by my guest, Dr. Tony Brooks. Catch you right back after the break. Thank you for listening to our show today. I really appreciate it. Please tell your friends and family. There's lots of ways that you can show your love if you happen to like our show today. You can listen, call, subscribe, chat, like our fan page, follow, comment, share, tell a friend, advertise with me. Start with my Amazon link, download my app, and buy my book on Amazon. What's the name of the book? Well, it is The Science of Mastering Women, The Science of Mastering Women, The Real Truth About Women That Will Change Your Life Forever. All right? The Science of Mastering Women, The Real Truth About Women That Will Change Your Life Forever. Where can you get it? on Amazon. You can download in a few seconds or what most men do is they request Amazon to send you the paperback which takes about five days or so but I think what they do is when you do that you automatically get the ebook so you get two for the price of one. Might as well just do that while you're waiting around for the five days you can start in on the ebook so you actually have both formats right there so that's what I would do. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can download that ebook for free. All right, so make that happen. Play the music. not sure why That's weird. <laughs> oh well, there's bumper music right here, although we can't hear it. Something's <laughs> happening. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Welcome back, Dr. Tony. Uh, We're talking today um, about leave no man behind. This is one of the mottos of the Army Rangers. You were part of a very elite squad there. Um, You say that this was your first mission. So how do they deploy you to something so critical and so important on a first mission? Were you ready?
2: I mean, I think I was ready, as ready as you, you would ever be for something as horrific as we saw. Yeah. But I would say that um, how it works in the 75th Ranger Regiment is most of the guys there are very, very, you know, they've been there a while. They've been doing missions. They they know what they're doing. And then you get the trickle in of the new guys, right? And I was that trickle. Um, it just so happened that That was the first mission I was called for. It and I was just—I would say luck, but I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. But yeah, I no one usually does something this dramatic on their first mission.
3: That's what I was. Yes. (laughs) I kind of got
2: thrown into the fire, and I didn't really understand that until I had boots on the ground. So it was stroke of luck or bad luck, whatever you want to call it.
1: Right, right, wow, and how did your um how did your people how did they even know there was a survivor left like
2: that did actually that didn't happen? come until later, so initially we were called out because a chinook helicopter carrying sixteen men had just been shot down. Mm. And so our job was to make sure that if there was anyone alive to save them. Um, and if anyone had perished, to also recover their their remains.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And we didn't know what had happened, other than helicopters down. Now you're going to get on that very same type of helicopter, and you're going to go and rescue these guys in the same area. So you can imagine what would go through all of our heads when we're getting on the very same bird that we're going to rescue. Right. It's a very odd feeling. And. Right. What they ended up doing was dropping us well enough away from the crash, and we right. had to walk in. Oof, and uh, carry back. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, the terrain there in Afghanistan and that part of the world is just unbelievable. I mean, you're we were at 10,000 feet
3: wow. elevation,
2: and we walked uh, only a few miles, but with the elevation, it ended up being closer to five miles. Because you're wow. going straight up and straight down and straight up and straight down. and But on a map, it didn't look like you traveled very far.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> what are you doing? Why is map. it
3: taking
1: so long? <laughs>
2: yeah, I remember looking at the map after the event and thinking, wow, that wasn't very far. Why is that, Why did it take us all night? It took us all night of walking to get to where we need to go.
1: I had no idea Afghanistan was so high in elevation. That's pretty high. that's like a ski slope
2: (laughs) oh yeah very very huge mountains absolutely actually you know what it's one of the most beautiful places I think I've ever seen in my life Wow and and I think anyone who's been in those mountains will probably tell you a similar story that if it wasn't a war zone they'd love to go visit
1: Wow that's crazy Wow Wow all right so anyway I, I mean I guess you can detect through radar or through other means that the that the chopper was down but ha, but you don't know exactly if there are survivors, right?
2: Correct. Until I mean you we get did there. have we did have some surveillance that could see some things, but the weather was so bad. Yeah. That they weren't unable to tell if people were moving at the crash site or not. They told us they saw movement, but they weren't sure. So we didn't really know what to expect when we got there. Um, ultimately, I think most people know the story if they've seen the movie, The Lone Survivor with Mark Wahlberg. If you haven't, it's a great movie. Mm -hmm. But uh, no one survived that helicopter crash. And when we got there, it was pretty evident that they all had perished almost immediately. So we did not know that the other there was a group of uh, Navy SEALs that four-man group that were still running around. Um, We did not know if they were dead or alive. In fact, we didn't even know they weren't in the initial helicopter crash. We didn't find out that we got there. And then we realized, wait, there's still four guys. Where are they? And that's all we do.
1: When you say that they can detect movement, is that like a heat print or something, or how do they detect that?
2: Yeah, so they have they have thermal lenses and cameras on drones and things
3: that,
1: uh, okay. that
2: can pretty okay. much see everywhere. There's no hiding from the United States government. If anyone's wondering, <laughs> um, they can zoom in on um, a little hair on your face if they want to.
3: Wow. So, wow. I mean,
2: this was a long time ago too, so I'm sure it's even more advanced now. Yeah. Um, and.
1: And the person that that you rescue, that person was a Navy SEAL as well, right?
2: Yeah, so the, the last survivor was a Navy SEAL. Now I was on a different part of the mountain when he was actually rescued. I was less than a mile away, looking mm-hmm. in another village.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But um, my my platoon and my sister platoon are the ones that recovered him.
1: Wow, wow, wow. So how do you jump into that? that terror without just having the adrenaline overcome your system i'm i'm going through a little bit of an issue myself with ptsd and i'm trying to do it like baby steps to get back on the horse kind of thing and that it's like i don't even have time to talk my mind out of it that the situation is safe it's not like the accident from before from years before but like that adrenaline rush just like floods your body. I mean, it was like yeah. a heroin injection or something. I mean, how do you get past, I don't know if you felt that when you were going, through, you know, climbing those mountains, but how do you get past the adrenaline dump and just let your mind take over to say, you know, I'm on a mission here?
2: You know, they train us really well on how to overcome adversity and stress. Yeah and i think my training set me up for success there but wow. ultimately you especially young men the testosterone levels and i mean you could probably go into great detail about this but yeah um i think it becomes more of an you get addicted to that rush uh-huh and with our training and our egos
3: (laughs) which were (laughs) very big at
2: the time um i would say that you kind of just brush everything off to the side at the time it was it was not about us it was not about any individual it was about getting the job done like we were going to get the job done no matter what and it takes over just like any job but just add adrenaline (laughs) um it's a really, really interesting like i'm I'm sure you like I said, you studied this stuff, so yeah the the human brain has ways of coping in crazy, stressful situations, and they really the military does a good job of training us for those.
1: would you say that you sort of like desensitize the adrenaline dump? to where you could think a little more clear-headedly that it wasn't just a physical reaction?
2: 100%. Wow.
1: Yeah, it's that's completely cool. you're
2: completely desensitized to it. Um, in fact, you crave it. You crave wow. that adrenaline. If you've been to combat, all those guys do. They can't wait for that wow. next rush. And <laughs> it's a very odd thing because that's what causes PTSD later is Now your brain's still craving that and it'll find ways to get it.
1: Wow. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. The brain works in very mysterious ways. It's like I had a, a stressful, you know, it was a little bit stressful, not a lot stressful incident that happened uh, last summer. And it, it, made me paralyzed to where I couldn't drive anymore. I would just get anxiety. I would just, for sure, I would think that the semi-truck is going to roll over on me and crush me. Even on streets that don't have a semi-truck, I would think this. I don't even know where I got this idea from. And so it harkened back to a car. It turned out, and I'm like recently going to therapy over this because I want to get back to driving. Um, so anyway, it harkened back to a car a nasty car accident I had from seven years ago like it's crazy it's like like nothing showed up from the car accident in all these seven years until the stressful works it was a work situation. the stressful work situation happened, and then boom, that trigger just went right off.
2: I have so, a similar story to you, okay. So,
1: I'd love so that's this
2: event that I'm talking about right now, Operation mm-hmm. Red Wings, I never really processed it. I kind of I went to war yeah. again after. I went to the Battle of Ramadi right after.
3: Mm-hmm. I went
2: to Ranger School. I served a couple more years, and it really hit me. Gosh, about five years after the event, I was sitting in a restaurant. No, there was no danger, sitting in that restaurant, and. All of a sudden, it was like I was in a war zone, out of the blue. Wow. And I started, like, almost almost feeling that adrenaline rush, and it's clearly the wrong situation for an adrenaline rush. Right. So that scares you.
1: Oh, totally.
2: And I was sitting in the restaurant, and I was getting mad, and I, I, I don't get angry. I'm a very calm guy, and I had to get out of there. I had to leave. I left my food right on the table, walked out. Wow, so similar situation, right yeah, stressful event, and then later was
1: it wait was it stressful in the restaurant did something not at all. happen
2: not, not at
1: all, so just yours was like totally out of the blue, correct wow, and the and the head and the body just kicked in and said, "Here we go, we're dumping on you
2: yeah wow, it was, it was um, you don't really know, I mean. I'm guessing this is kind of similar to what drug addicts go through with right. uh, with dopamine and adrenaline and all that. But yeah, it was um it was scary. I had no I was losing control of my body and I didn't know why.
1: Yes, that's exactly what I felt. Yes. And so once you left the restaurant, did it recur or was it ongoing or or that was it was just a one-time event?
2: Um it wasn't a one-time event, but it it um That was the worst. That was the one I remember the most. Mm -hmm. Um, There were others, and again, therapy, and I mean, writing my book was very therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of things that I've done over the years that kind of processed that event into what it really was. It was a Mm -hmm. traumatic event, and no human should ever have to go through it. That's the bottom line, And and I did. So now I need to learn from it and teach people. And, and use it as a teaching tool. That's what I've been trying to do.
1: Right. So what I'm going through now is 30 days of systematic uh, desensitization, as they call it. So he's, he and I've thought many, many times. Let me just drive to the corner. Let me just. And I haven't had the guts to do it. And I'm glad I didn't do it. So now I'm glad that I'm doing it with a therapist, somebody that like knows the next question and knows the next step and has been through, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of anxiety patients, whatever. So I pulled out of the garage, turned the car on, no problem, backed out of the driveway, no problem, went almost all the way to the corner, like 90% to the corner, two houses away from the corner. And that adrenaline dump was on a scale of one to 10, it was a nine. It was as if someone said, okay, jump off the cliff. And you're like, well, wait a minute, are you gonna give me a parachute? And the person goes, no, just jump off the cliff. I mean, it was a nine. I was like drenched in adrenaline. And so I turned around and I turned around, I was on the opposite side of my street now, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, let me see if I can do other things." So I, I decided to parallel park across the street from me. Not a problem. I decided to pull back into the garage. Not a problem. So it went from a nine to a zero in in just that quickly. And then the next day, day number two, I could only go to next door. Then the adrenaline went to a four on day two. And then on day three, I got all the way to the corner and I'm like, wow, it's not dumping. (laughs) So I decided to turn the corner, went halfway uh, down that second block and then made a U-turn. I didn't want to test it too much. Made a U-turn, came back and that day three was like nothing. But he's like, don't jump on the freeway yet. we got like 30 days of this. So he says, just baby steps, baby steps. You know, tomorrow it could be a nine again. So it's just a matter of telling your body this is perceived danger, not real danger, you know, and you're just doing a flashback to a traumatic moment that you just need to break it down and reiterate it, rename it. You know, you're the same person, you have the same memory, you have the same vision, but just take these little baby steps to rename what what went on. I hope there's like training like this for you know, all the service people (laughs) because they certainly need it. I mean, (laughs) no,
2: I mean, because you hear of PTSD all
1: the time, but I don't know, you know, I mean, they're not as lucky as I am to have resources to like go to the right person for this. And it wasn't, you know, it it took me six, it took me at least six people before I found somebody that knew what they were doing with this. It's not an easy thing.
2: No, the human brain is, it's so tricky <laughs> <It's not laughs> something you can easily unwind
1: so you're saying the training to go on the mission was pretty strong but the training to undo it like after you've come back um, I don't Isn't know there... I just I, I just keep hearing all these negative stories that You know, they become drunk addicts or they're, you know, disconnected or they never want to talk about the war. They never want to talk about what happened because that might trigger something rather than going through the therapy, similar to what I'm going through, and systematically, like, breaking all that down and renaming it.
2: Yeah, and and just like you experienced, it's really hard to go back through it. Yeah. So you can't just – you can't wing it. No. You need professionals. You need – something systematic, and we just don't really have it for veterans. We have That's the VA, really and we don't, it's not great.
1: Why do you think it's like that? Because you said the training at the onset is terrific.
2: Um, I don't know the answer to that question, but wow. I would say that the military is designed to do one thing really well yeah and get to win in there. Wars. yeah right not not to get out of them in fact we've seen that pretty clearly lately in the yes. past couple of years that we don't yes. know what we're doing to get out
1: that's crazy Alrighty, to my audience, if you've just joined us, you're currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. Today we are talking to my guest, um, former Army Ranger Tony Brooks, and we're going to be talking about his book when we come back from the break, No Man Behind. So stay tuned. We'll catch you right back after the break.
0: Hey, guys, do you have a nagging problem that you just can't get a handle on? Now you can talk to an expert coach right in the privacy of your own home. Meet in person, over the phone, or with a free Skype call anywhere in the world. Linda is here to make it easy for you. Linda Gross has done years of academic research combined with interviewing over 20,000 men. Linda's expert advice gets you through tackling relationship issues, business goals, conflict resolution, and removing lifetime roadblocks that have kept you back, usually handled in four sessions or less. Realize the benefits now. Go to the Men's Advocate page slash coaching, and you'll be on your way. That's themensadvocate.com slash coaching.
1: There we go. Welcome back, everybody. You're currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host Linda Gross. We are talking today to my guest, Dr. Tony Brooks. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about his book in in a couple of minutes. He, Tony, is a dad, a husband, an author, and a chiropractor in Texas, in Conroe, Texas, and the name of his uh chiropractic uh business is called Freedom Chiropractic Freedom Chiropractic um and you can Uh, Check out his book and his website. Uh, You can go right to the link right here on Blog Talk uh, Radio and also on all my media. You'll definitely want to check out the picture carousel on Blog Talk Radio. There's quite a few interesting uh, pictures there, Uh, current pictures as well as some from the Army days. So, check that picture carousel so I'm gonna play a few minutes of the intro intro to his book and then we'll get back with dr. Tony hold on one sec and let's listen in
2: after 9-11 I left to serve my country I did so with a passion for revenge plain and simple the attack pissed me off becoming a ranger was my chance to even the score I was going overseas To kill a bunch of terrorists responsible for 9-11 but it didn't turn out that way not at all from the moment i first stepped onto that chinook the game had changed it wasn't just a movie or a book that i'd read about it was now i was the story each move each emotion and each thought mattered if you had told me I would be recovering the remains of 16 special operators on the side of a mountain and survive the kind of heat, cold, and rain that we did, I'd have scoffed, maybe even laughed. I was a kid who 24 months earlier had been partying and skipping college classes. This tsunami of death was forcing me to grow up in a hurry. This was not what I thought it was going to be on my first mission as a Ranger. But what mattered was protecting our country, going home with my brothers, and bringing home heroes to their families. Enter Operation Red Wings 2.
1: All right. You can call uh, Dr. Tony um, on this topic if you have a comment or question, 323-642-1677, 323-642-1677, or if you're listening live right here on the chat line, which is blogtalkradio.com, blogtalkradio.com forward slash DT Linda Gross, forward slash DT Linda Gross. So, Dr. Tony, tell us a little bit what inspired you to sit down and now write this book.
2: Um, I think the biggest thing was my children. So I, I have an 8-year-old and a 5-year-old now. Um, when I wrote the book, it was in, a couple years ago, so they were really little. Mm-hmm. And I, the pandemic hit, and things slowed down and was stuck at home. And I had a lot of time to think. And I really looked at my children, and I thought, man, I'm never going to be able to tell these kids that story of me in the military. I'm never going to be able to sit down and explain in detail what I went through and what what happened.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I guess a tough conversation and I don't know how anyone could just tell that story. So I said, you know what? I think if I just write it down, it'll be better. And I started writing and next thing you know, I had a book.
3: <laughs> wow. And
2: once it was coming together, I found an agent and got a book deal and kind of went through that process. But um, I definitely would credit my kids and my wife really as I wanted to them to be able to know what I experienced. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. And this is a what a great way. If I you know were to croak tomorrow, hopefully not.
3: Yeah. They right. still
2: have that story and they still can have it forever. So that was so, it.
1: so why are you the one off? Like I say, most soldiers they don't want to say a word about what happened. You know, they buried it, stuffed it and never to be revisited. So what you know, why are you the one-off?
2: I don't know, actually. I, you know, I, um, I battled with it for years to not do it because it, you know, it, the event happened in 2005 and I didn't write until 2020. Wow. So many, many years of should I do it? Should I not? And, or are people going to be mad or, you know, am I going to disappoint people? So all those things went, have gone through my head at some point.
3: Mm-hmm. And really
2: it was just my kids. I'm like, don't want to hold this in for my whole life and not talk about it Mm
3: -hmm.
2: like it was always in the back of my head i thought about it all the time every day probably Mm -hmm. and i'm like i need to get this off my chest like it's a thing that happened and i don't need to carry it around all the time and that was my way wow i don't know why
1: (laughs) (laughs) do you think that you know when they're in their mid-20s maybe like 25 or something you'll tell the story you know one-on-one orally
2: I mean I'm sure they're gonna read it and they're gonna have lots of questions right it's much easier to answer direct questions than to tell the story from front the beginning to end with right. all the detail that I was able to put in the book right so it's just so like you could never tell that story it would take me days to tell that story
1: right right To
2: give it justice and to not leave out the, the parts that were painful that's what they right. do is they'll, they'll avoid certain topics.
3: Hmm.
1: Right. So, <clears throat> yeah, that's pretty interesting. So, yeah, I, I don't know how you did that, you know, because like I say, I, I hear service person after service person <laughs> just wanting to do nothing but bury it. So congrats on you. Um, I was reading a couple of the reviews, and you're – Correct, correct them if, if I got this wrong, but they were saying that it's primarily your story, um, not necessarily the mission, not necessarily what exactly you experienced, but it's more the Tony story than anything else. Would, would yeah, you say I would that's say, accurate?
2: I would say partially. I mean, the, the all the background was my story. The The mission was just from my perspective. Okay. But – the most of the book is about the mission. It's just my perspective of the mission and what I was seeing and what I was feeling and what I was going through as a human. So it's more of a human story, I think, than just a war book. Right. It's like, if you want to know war fighters are thinking, feeling, smelling, touching, all that, then my book's a good one. Whereas there are others that just are history, right? This is a good combination. I think that was my purpose was to... Kind of humanize the warrior,
1: gotcha, and would you say this this writing has been a catharsis to help help you make sense of your feelings or put them in perspective, or how has it benefited you by by writing the book?
2: a hundred percent cathartic I think i I learned so much about myself, I learned about um, feelings that I had on the on the mission that I didn't even know I had. Wow. And why I kind of was able to process them. Like I was angry at one point and I didn't uh-huh. know why. Um, and it was just my way of deflecting from tragedy.
1: Right. right.
2: So I would have never been able to put that all together without probably a lot of therapy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and But this writing really helped bring it all out and, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a doctor, so this stuff's I'm a nerd like that. So I like to study the human brain and, and how it works. And it really helped me kind of process through my own issues, I guess.
1: And do you feel that the mission, mission now is on the shelf? That's like a closed chapter, like you've said and done and witnessed and you've done everything that you're supposed to do and it's. It's on the shelf. It's a, you know, close chapter, or do you feel that there are remnants still there that you need to deal with?
2: I think most of the the processing of it is done. Like I, I am at peace with it at this point, but I definitely think about it a lot. Mm -hmm. It's very important um, to, to where I am in life. It makes me a better person, makes me stronger. So I use it as a strength rather than something that brings me down or something negative. Mm -hmm. In fact, I use it now to help me propel me to get others to tell their stories to help them heal. Right. So I talk to veterans all the time. In fact, I had one today in my office that was telling me first time ever he's had PTSD was today. Wow. And he told me why and everything. So and I talked to him and I said, you know, I gave him the resources that he needed, of course. And I said, you know, one of the best things that I ever did was I wrote down everything that I was feeling and thinking.
3: Mhm. Just wrote it down. Wow. Um,
2: and, and I told him, get, get with your professional, get the help you need, and don't be afraid to write it all down. Get it out.
1: Now, when you say that advice, that's today's advice, right? You didn't do that back then in Afghanistan, did you?
2: Not on purpose. <laughs> I, I actually took a lot of notes. Yeah. But I I did it because that's just what I thought I needed to do. Not It had nothing to do with um, me being that smart about it. I just had a notebook and I was bored and I decided I'm going to write all this stuff down. And I wrote funny stories. I wrote, man, I feel sick or I am exhausted. I wrote all these things I was feeling and what I was seeing and just felt like the right thing to do at the time, I guess.
1: Wow. Good for you. And then you, then you had, you brought that home with you, that journal, right? So then you had a little bit of a basis to write the book. You didn't have to totally like do it from memory.
2: Yeah. And I always went back and looked at that journal for years. I would open it up and read it and remember everything. And I'd call my buddies and talk to them and we'd rehash things. And, um, yeah, so it it was a very very helpful thing to have.
1: So did you go on other missions that were equally harrowing or was this like the worst of the worst?
2: Oh, that was definitely the worst, for sure. Um, but my next deployment was to the Battle of Ramadi. And that was probably one of the if not the deadliest battle in the entire Iraq War. Mhm. Um, so, you know, I went on plenty of other things that were not great. Let's put it that way right you know, more more of the real combat than compared to this you know tragic event that I was a part of that I mean it wasn't a lot of combat for me right I just got I had to pick up the pieces but I did experience combat like direct combat later
3: mm,
1: gotcha so tell us a little bit about your book which one is your favorite chapter and why
2: um I think my favorite chapter even, you know, a couple I mean my book originally came out in 2001. Mhm. And it just came out in paperback a few months ago. Um but Two,
1: 2021.
2: 21, correct.
1: You said 2001.
2: But, oh, sorry. Yeah.
1: 911. <laughs> more
2: rec- yeah, more recently came out in paperback a few months ago. Gotcha. But I um Sorry, I lost my train of thought there.
1: Favorite chapter.
2: Yeah, my favorite chapter is probably still to this day is um, called The Ring. Mm -hmm. And it was after we recovered all of the men at the Chinook crash. Okay. There were 16 of them, and it took us the better part of a day.
1: And how many of you were there? Were there 20 of you?
2: Um, Working on the crash site, there were probably about 15.
1: Okay. Almost one on one. What one
2: yeah. to one. So, yeah. we had wow. everyone else was pulling security around us to make sure that we were safe while we were doing all this work. Right. And so it was it was grueling. You know, carry, we carried 16 bodies probably a quarter mile up a, mount, a cliff face. Wow. And it took us all day and we were exhausted. But at the end, we we recognized one of the guys that had perished. In fact, mm-hmm. A lot of people knew him. So they said, make sure he has all – we're looking through their belongings and make sure they had everything, all their sensitive Mm -hmm. items.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And he said, he doesn't have his wedding band on. I guarantee you he had his wedding band on. It's here. We're going to find it.
1: Oh, my God.
2: And uh, about 20 of us were on our hands and knees for a couple hours digging through smoldering – helicopter looking for a ring. Wow. I'll, I'll tell you what, I had never been so motivated trying to find that dang ring in a war zone. You wouldn't even think that that would be a possibility, right? That you'd be looking right. for a ring.
0: Yeah. And
2: I'm on my hands and knees for I don't know how long, hours, and just sifting through ashes and hot embers and things. And we found it. We wow. We found the ring in the rubble of the helicopter crash. And that was probably the, the, as weird as this sounds, it was one of the most exciting, happy moments we had out there. It was like a small piece of victory in this really awful, awful situation. Mm. And I remember just being so happy and high-fiving and fist-bumping and screaming. and Yeah, we were, I mean, you would think we won the war. Wow. So that's, I mean, it's that's a total
1: ne- needle in a haystack.
2: Yeah, that, I don't think – I just don't know how that happened. Wow. In fact, I look back on it, and I think, I don't know how we did that. I don't know how it was even possible. We didn't have any special tools. We were using our hands.
1: Wow. So it was part of the, the rubble. It was part of the Chinook. It wasn't correct. the surrounding areas, right? Yeah, it
2: was in the burning rubble, correct.
1: Wow. That is so crazy. That's what a wonderful story. And I, I bet the spouse really, I'll really appreciated that. I'm ending that, of
2: that, that, that uh, chapter up to the reader because I think I don't want to ruin it. But yeah. let's just say that the victory was not just finding the ring. It gets better. Wow. <laughs> but that's wow. my favorite chapter. I still get goosebumps thinking about it.
1: That is so cool. I bet he had a very happy spouse. <laughs> I'm sure you guys gave it to her, right?
2: That's the ending that I don't want to yeah. spoil. But. Okay, I, I won't go any <laughs>
1: further. <laughs> we can draw our own conclusions, and you can buy Dr. Tony's book. Um, you can go to Amazon or drtonybrooks.com, drtonybrooks.com. If you go to his website, he'll actually sign it for you. Uh, if you go to Amazon, you can also like click the links below on my social media, and it's there for you. Just click on it. Wow, what is this chapter called? Two deaths and a unicorn. What is, what is the unicorn?
2: The unicorn. Oh man, I knew this would come up. <laughs> so the unicorn is my. What we came up with, me and my friends, was a nickname for the girl of my dreams. Ah. Uh, and this is kind of funny thinking back on it. Is you know I was in the military, so what we did on the weekends was. We'd go into downtown Seattle, and we would go to every bar.
3: Okay.
2: <laughs> that's what we would do every weekend. Why not? And Of course, because you've got to drown the adrenaline with alcohol, because that's the logical thing, right? Yeah. Um, so that's what we did at the time. And we would go to this one bar, and it was called Cowgirls, Inc., and it was in Seattle. And it was like a Coyote Ugly-themed bar.
3: Uh-huh.
2: And every time we'd go there, there was this one bartender. That I was goo goo over. I was like, That's my future wife. I would tell them all I would tell all my buddies. That's my future wife. I don't know why, but she's the most amazing person I've ever seen. And I would order all my drinks only from her. I would I would constantly, (laughs) constantly ask her out on dates.
3: Oh.
2: and I I was brave. I was a brave soul. I had all the ego in the world and I would ask her on a date and she would never say no. Oh. She would always say, I'm working. And I was like, all I have to do is say no and I'll never ask again. She never said no. And <laughs> so that was my cue to keep asking. Um,
1: there was a crack in the window there. I
2: always was extremely polite. I tipped extremely well. Um, and. My friends would always tease me about her, and they said – and they finally just gave her the name of The Unicorn. So that's where that came from. Um, and I said, why The Unicorn? And he said, well, she's a mythical creature that doesn't really exist, and you can't get it because it's not real. Yeah, it's so, a figment
1: of your imagination.
2: So I was really determined at that point. I will get a date. I will get a date. And uh, it took me, gosh, probably – six months to a year of wow. constantly going back. Well, she finally told me at some point, she said, you know, I do have a boyfriend. So oh, okay. I'm Just... taken. And so every time I'd come in, I'd say, do you still have a boyfriend? <laughs> it was a fair
0: you question. You got to rule it right? out. Yeah. And I said, all you
2: got to do is tell me to stop and I will stop. I will leave you alone. And she would kind of smirk and go about her business. And again, I took that as, well, she's doing the right thing, but she's not turning me away. <laughs> and eventually one day I asked, and to my surprise, she said yes. And she said, and I said, you don't have a boyfriend, right? And she said, I do not.
1: <laughs> oh, wow.
2: Yeah. And I was she like, wasn't going to be
1: forth, forthcoming to tell you that information in advance. You still had to do the asking. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I was surprised because she always would you know brush me off and right and that was our first date and I took her to Ruth Chris
3: nice
1: it
2: great yeah I was going big right I was yeah I was motivated that was my future wife and she is my wife to this day so oh that uh, is
1: so sweet
2: yeah it, it was um love at first she- sight is an actual thing I really felt it wow it's weird I know
1: the butterflies and the whole thing you felt felt the physical all of it Wow.
2: yeah i i knew instantly i was like i, I if i don't I, I wasn't one to go ask somebody out on dates i was a yeah. big wimp. the big wimp yeah. right and but i had the courage for her for for whatever reason the unicorn <laughs>
1: Wow, and apparently she had the hot, eventually, she had the hots for you, too, because she said yes.
2: She said <laughs> yes, and we're, we're now married with two children, so I'd say it worked <laughs> out good.
1: It worked out well. You had to wait a little bit, but sometimes it's sweeter when you do have to wait, right? Because yeah. if, uh, if you get things too easily, you don't value it as much sometimes.
2: Well, like I said, I wasn't one to just, you know, go ask everyone out on dates, and um, I was kind of nerdy, you know. I'm a I am a doctor, so I'm a little nerdy. And I had that, I guess, the edge from being a ranger just because, you know, you're pretty confident yeah. when you're in a special operations. So sure. that kind of pushed me forward, I think.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, if you can do a mission like that, you can do anything. You're king of the world, right? That's kind of what I kept
2: telling myself. <laughs>
1: I mean, this little cowboy bar, Coyote Ugly bar, is like nothing. It's, you know, <laughs> you do that and you just sleep.
2: <laughs> I'm sure I probably did. I was, I really had, I mean, I really, really, really was obsessed with her. I, every time we went out to the bars, I'm like, we got to go to the Cowgirls bar. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And if she didn't have a shift that night, would you walk out or you'd, you'd
2: sleep? Oh, yeah. I, if she was in, in there, I'd leave immediately. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh. <laughs> That's funny. All right, Dr. Tony, um, we're just going to close out the show now. If you have any uh, final comments, um, oh, maybe one last thought is how you apply what you've, your takeaway, what you've learned in Afghanistan, to your practice, your chiropractic. This is there a connection there? If so, please tell us that.
2: Oh, so much. I, I think. Every single patient that comes into my office has a story, right?
3: Wow. Okay. And it's not,
2: it's not just about their pain or their back or whatever I'm there to fix. Right. There's always more to the story. So as right. a doctor I and someone who's gone through all this crazy stuff, I know that people are, you know, not necessarily hiding things, but as a doctor, I need to dig because I need to figure out what got them to this point and how do I help them. Right. So i use it all the time i learned
1: and sometimes they don't know Sometimes right. they, they might have maybe there's 10 dots but they've only connected six out of the 10 dots and they don't know the full scope of what they're going through or why this pain is there or when did it start and why did it start and et cetera right. et cetera right i mean do you dig to figure out
2: the, oh the yeah we, dots? we find stuff i mean i had a guy who swore to me that he'd never had hit his head or never had a fall. Oh. We went through all of his stuff. I look at his x-rays. And I'm like, you, you've got to have some trauma here. There's a bunch of trauma on your neck. And he's like, nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, he left that day, and I did my exam, and I was going to have him come back, and we were going to talk some more before I started treating him. Yeah. And he said, you know, I realized that when I was a kid, I actually fell out of a tree right on my head. And I never got any treatment for it. I was scared to tell my parents.
1: Wow. He
2: had injuries from when he was a child that showed up in middle adulthood. Wow. But he forgot all about it. He completely forgot it.
1: Because he was too scared to tell the parents. You got it. So he wiped that memory out. Wow.
2: So bringing that up, obviously, is not going to heal his pain, but it helped us yes, there is trauma. I don't have to worry about, like, some crazy disease process that's going on here. (laughs) There was trauma.
1: Right. Hmm. Very nice. All right. Well, any uh, closing uh, last sentences before we close down the show?
2: Yeah, I just I want to say that my book is, um, yes, it's a war story, and it's a human war story, but I want people to, when they go to pick it up, to realize that, you can do hard things too. Like I had never had any business being an army ranger or being on that mission, but yet I got through it and I thrived. So anyone who's about to read that book know that, yeah, you you may not be an army ranger, but there's something in your life that's going to come up eventually that you're going to have to perform and you, you can do hard things. So I want everyone to know that you can do hard things.
1: And for those who are listening, who are going through trauma or PTSD or any sort of anxiety-related issue, contact me and, and contact Dr. Uh, Tony Brooks here. dot com um, because we have solutions for you. You don't have to go through this by yourself. You really don't. I mean, we think we do, but really, it's better. <laughs> it's better to go with someone who is an expert at what they're doing. So yeah reach out to me um all right we're going to close out the show thank you so much for joining us today i really appreciate your being here a couple of quick words uh um, some housekeeping issues um my book the science of mastering women the science of mastering women is now on audiobook so you can check it out in all the usual places uh apple Walmart, Barnes and Noble, uh Spotify, just just Google it. It's it's all over the place. It's out like on fifty different platforms. So just go for it. The science of mastering women and then also check out uh my business coaching. I have a private Facebook page that I talk just about uh business coaching. So what I do is I help uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs solve their business problems and then we scale their businesses so they can make fearless money, you know, make the money that they're supposed to be making without all the headaches that go along with running a day-to-day business. So um, you can uh, message me, info at themensadvocate.com, info at themensadvocate.com, and I will give you all the details, All right. And lastly, if you happen to have missed last week's show, I was on with um, actually sharing some insights on how I diagnose what's wrong with the business. I, you know, get get that thermometer going. We were on with digital coach, Job Neal, and I pull back the curtain and zero in on um, the business, figure out where you are right now, where you'd like to be, and then I Custom make a blueprint for you on how you're going to make your business a success. So make that happen. All right. So last week's show you can find it on SoundCloud, TuneIn, iTunes, Spotify, all the usual places. If those aren't the ones platforms that you use, again, just type it type it into your search bar. The Men's Advocate Show, the Men's Advocate Show, and it should come up on your favorite platform. All right. Thank you again, Dr. Tony, and we'll see you next time, okay?
2: Thank you very much.
1: All right, here we go.